So again, we talked a little bit about last week as we began our series. We're going to touch on this idea of being deeper disciples, that somewhere between the intersection of vitality and discipleship lies depth. And so we're talking about that in the midst of a stewardship season. And so we're on our second one, talking about going deeper. But before we go any further, I just want to ask, have have y'all been to that estate sale? You know which one I'm talking about. You been there yet? I mean, I heard some laugh, so... You you know, those of y'all that are in the know, you know. Not too far from here, right? It's on the river. Pretty cool house. You know, Lindsay went on Friday and, and said to me as I was, you know, it's my one day off, really, you know, without the kids and everything, and I'm just sitting at home, and Lindsay's like, listen, you've got to go to this thing. And of course, I'm like, I guess, right? You've seen one estate, sa- estate sale. You've seen them all. And Lindsay's like, no, you got to go. So we went, and I was even on the fence as we were getting out of the car, and the security guard, okay, first off, security guard in estate sale. But the security guard said to me, as Lindsay and I were saying, should I really go? And the guy's like, no, you really need to go to this house. And I feel like the guy who like works security on it means you should go. So here's what I'm telling y'all, like if you don't have anything to do now after church, you got an estate sale to go to. Cuz it is actually really cool. I found out it, it you know related to the Winn-Dixie family, you know all that. It's it's uh there were some things in that house that were some of the most spectacular pieces of art for instance that I have seen outside of a museum. And even for an estate sale, you could tell that it was good based on the numbers of figures before and after the first comma. (laughs) I mean, it was great. I was having a lot of fun. You know, I imagined waking up in the morning and enjoying my cup of coffee as I looked over the fountains onto the, you know, the river, and I thought, hmm, this, this feels really good. And it makes you wonder, like, you, you, you go to a place like that and you see just the opulence and, and the beauty that's there and you see the way that the gardens are done. I mean, even like, the, even like the guest quarters had like a special garden. Like that's how fancy it was. Like you don't have to share our garden, dear guest. You get your own. And you just, you just wonder how you get to that point. And it was beautiful. But here's what I was most excited about as I walked around and, of course, saw all these things that I might want to afford, but but Lindsay would get mad at me if I purchased. I noticed things that weren't nearly as glamorous. My favorite, for instance, was this awful-looking coffee cup (laughs) that said Best Friends on it. And it was like one of those really awful-looking cartoons from, like, the 80s. Like, I was expecting to see a Garfield mug somewhere, right? I saw ab rollers because apparently the folks that live there were very concerned about their midsections. So it wasn't just, like, one ab roller machine, but, like, three or four of them. And I was really struck by that because I thought, you know what? I can imagine that life. You know, waking up out of bed and shuffling in my slippers to get my best friend's mug as I took my first cup of coffee. I, too, am a little concerned about my midsection. I am heading towards 40, and no, it doesn't go down from here. 
Um, so I could probably use an ab roller too. You know, in the midst of all that opulence, it wasn't hard to make those connections, right? Underneath all of the things that you would have said, look at how fancy this is, there was still people there who had their cup of coffee and did their crunches. And so often it's so easy to forget underneath everything that we're just still people. Of course, this man today in our gospel is really excited he finally gets his chance to see Jesus. Dude is hyped. Now, we don't know all of his story, but we do know that he apparently was a little bit successful. He had things, he had means, enough that the gospel writers are telling us that this person had a lot of stuff to give. He clearly had also been raised by a religious family, it's clear that he grew up with a faith that seemed to still matter to him, that he had done the right things, and he did what he was supposed to do, and if the world had rewarded him for it, well, you know, what's the worst that happens? Good for him. And when he finally did it, when he finally got to see Jesus for the very first time, he fell to his knees, and like I would if I saw Jesus for the first time, I would say, good teacher. Now, it's not often that rabbis get called good, but Jesus here does. So the man knew how truly special this Jesus guy was. This was not a regular rabbi on the street wandering around. No, this guy was special. So not only has this guy done the right things in his life, but he also is aware that this Jesus is the special one. This is truly the Messiah. And when he hears Jesus' first response, like, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you follow the Ten Commandments. You can imagine his sense of overwhelming relief. Like, yes! All this was worth it. I don't smoke and chew and hang out with people who do. Check mark. I didn't have fun in college, but boy, now I'm on my way to eternal life. And then Jesus looked at him. And Mark says he loved him. This really was a good person. This was someone Jesus valued. This isn't like last week where it was Pharisees trying to mix Jesus up, cause problems. No, this is a good person. This is like the type of person you want hanging out with you in your church. But read the rest of the story, and I think the first question you could say is, is this really love? This doesn't feel like love to me. Like, I love you. Go sell all your stuff, and then follow me. This just feels like a bad, um, like bad timeshare conversation, right? It doesn't actually sound much like love to me. You know, you, you did the right things all your life. You, you, you lived a good life. You got rewarded for it. And this is what you get. The request for the one last thing. What feels like, to me, the impossible thing. And Eugene Peterson's fantastic translation, the message, I think says at best, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing 
he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Now, our temptation here might be to want to try to soften this blow, that maybe there was something else here, but instead Jesus then goes in the rest of the gospel and doubles down with the disciples. It's not just this one guy where there can be a struggle, but it can be so many others. And obviously, as is the case so often in Mark, the disciples just don't get it. They're like, what? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And well, we weren't there, so we don't know exactly how the rest of the disciples would respond. Um, and we don't know exactly how all Peter responds here when he says. We can't tell his inflection. We don't know. He says, listen, we've given up everything for you. I think it's possible that we can relate to that statement two ways. We might say to ourselves, well, Peter has a position of smugness, right? Yeah, we did better than that rich guy. We did better than that River Road crowd. I mean, the river side of River Road. We gave up our boats, the disciples say. Look at us. We're going to be the ones that get to go to heaven. We got the first class ticket to the pearly gates. Or be a little feeling of frustration, right? Jesus, really, we have given up everything for you. What more could you possibly want from us? I haven't had a good home-cooked meal in months, Jesus. I'm wandering around hanging out with you, Jesus, and you get to be the ones doing all these healings? What do I get to do except be a goofball in the background? And I think this passage then, as we think about how we go deeper, I think it gives us permission to acknowledge the difficulty of our faith journeys. Our time here on earth is not necessarily as straightforward as maybe we'd like it to be. There are not always easy answers. And honestly, y'all, if a church tries to sell you an easy answer, it's probably snake oil. And y'all know that, right? You come here on Sunday and you try to live from Sunday to Sunday as best you can, but there are all sorts of decisions and thoughts and difficulties that doesn't always make Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so and let's go make disciples and love everybody as easy as it sounds and as simple as it is to say or to put up on a sign. So let's just acknowledge on the front end that this faith journey, this walk that we have is one that can be a little difficult. Our time here on earth is not necessarily straightforward and there are multiple choices we need to make. They're not necessarily moral, moral right and wrong. Like if you do this thing or you follow these rules, it's not simple if-then statements that when you tabulate them, you will have finally earned your Jesus pass, and when you die, you get to pass the first gates on to heaven. They extend in the very way, though, that we live our lives together. But Jesus asks us if we want to go deeper, we need to be willing to give up the things that separate us from one another. Our comforts and our invulnerabilities. This is one thing I noticed when I was at the house uh, as I was looking around, is it sort of struck me 
that there weren't very many neighbors for this person. I mean, really, most of the neighbors for this house were swimming around in the river. And if you notice, this is interesting because we're in, a, we're in a really unique spot, right? We got the river on one side and the ocean on the other. And I think to myself, if I live at the river or if I live at the ocean, I only have to deal with just a couple people beside me, right? I'm protected. But then you notice as you go block to block to block to block towards the center, well, now you've got more people to have to concern yourself with. You have more concerns. You can't be as invulnerable. You can't be as hidden away. You can't hide your coffee cups. You can't hide your ab rollers. They're a bit more exposed and open to each other. And if you live any time, and if you've experienced any time, in the year I've been here, I noticed this. It seems to be that if you're in the peninsula, where the toughest part of the peninsula tends to be right towards the center. It's not on the ocean side, it's not on the river side, but it's where you are furthest from it. And it strikes me that that is where most folks are most vulnerable and most exposed. Because I don't have the opportunity to have most of my neighbor be water. Amos reminds us of this as well. Amos's main criticism in his prophecy was against the northern tribes and their comfort. This was a time when both kingdoms were at the tip-top of their power, and lots of people could lounge around. Amos talks about this. Folks are building like, like homes up on the hills that they're never going to hang out in. They're just planting vineyards that they're never going to get a drink from. And it caused them, according to Amos, to push aside the needy at the gate. Now, the one thing that Jesus gives us that Amos doesn't in this, as he continues in the entire book to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing on the northern tribes, is Jesus gives us an opportunity to walk away. Do you notice that? That this is not compulsory. Jesus doesn't sprinkle some magic Jesus dust over the, the rich man's head, and then suddenly it's like, oh, well, now I'm going to do all this stuff, right? This idea of going deeper, of willing to give away, to willing to be more exposed and be more um, vulnerable isn't coercive, nor is it mandatory. As we talked about last week with our contractual obligations with each other, we could live our whole life that way without a problem. We could live our lives solely in the idea that we're going to do good, clean living with all the accoutrements that demonstrate that good, clean living. And Jesus himself even acknowledges that it's hard. But the question may be, dear friends, if we're willing to go at all. And this is what sometimes when we get to passages like this and we struggle because we may feel sometimes like the rich young ruler more than we feel like Jesus. And I would say even myself included, it doesn't matter what paycheck you bring home, that we're not homeless. We generally have what we need to eat. We're in general good health. We are doing pretty good in comparison to most of the world. And honestly, probably most of Jacksonville. But in the end, it's not really about the resources, is it? 
It's not really about whether the rich young ruler was going to give away all of his stuff or not. I think the bigger question is, was the rich young ruler willing to strip out all the other things that hide his shuffling in the morning to get his Garfield mug? Same Garfield mug as everybody else on the street. Was the rich young ruler willing to show that he too might be a little concerned about his midsection, as we all are concerned about our midsections, except maybe for a couple of you, and I'm totally jealous, for willing to separate ourselves from the things that separate us from each other and that shuffling and exercise anxiety and we meet others along the way. Friends, walking this path of faith is not without its consequences. We aren't doing or being the same as we continue to walk along together. But here's the comfort in all of this for me, and I hope it is for you, is that going deeper and trying to go beyond our desires of now to try to meet others does not necessarily mean, dear friends, that tomorrow we have to be part of the last group going to the first. This isn't a race or a competition. You do not need, dear people, to suddenly sell literally every single thing that you own but maybe, maybe in Jesus' hyperbolic way, we are reminded that this faith journey asks us to become different. Asks us maybe that the thing that maybe we want to keep because it separates us from one another might be the thing we should let go. And in that letting go, we meet Jesus in new places and in new ways. That maybe our desire shouldn't be to separate ourselves but to bring ourselves closer together. And so friends, as we continue to think more about what does it mean to be a deeper disciple, I invite you to consider what are the things that are worth giving up? If it means that you can share coffee in the morning, the ugliest coffee cup you've got, with the person who so desperately wants to have that cup of coffee with you. Thanks be to God.